Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Ike's Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV, and we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have. And so now let's join me behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Michael Pfeiffer, a director, has been on the show a couple times already this past uh, couple months, and he's joining me again tonight. I'm so happy to have him back. Uh, Michael grew up in a showbiz family. His father was the head of television research for 20th Century Fox in the late 60s and 70s. And after graduating college, Michael decided to take advantage of the fact that his father was producing independent films. And after working on only three projects at 24, Mike produced his first feature film. Well, about 100 movies later, Michael joins us tonight. Now, um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to make this available for call-in. So if you are listening live, there is a call-in number. I'm going to give it out now. And uh, the the number is 516-531-9525. And it's there, uh, visible wherever you're listening. Um, but I'm going to have Michael join us in just in just a couple of seconds. I want to say that I'm so happy that you're joining us. I'm so happy that you're listening. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy you helped spread the word and share these discussions with your friends and your filmmakers and, and your movie fans. Uh, it is my pleasure and my privilege to be able to bring these discussions to you. So feel free to always leave comments uh, wherever you find the show and or on social media. So when we leave a comment or um, a like or something, uh, because it always helps me and my guests uh, reach more people with the 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 information that we have to share. I'm happy to say there's I've done over 500 hours of these programs, and they are available right there at BlogTalkRadio.com. And um, with that said, I'm going to bring on Mr. Michael Pfeiffer. Michael, are you there? I am unmuted. <laughs> you were unmuted. Uh, you unmuted me. Yes, I'm here. Thanks for having me, Rex. Um, pleasure to that, be back. That's a, to you. That's a, that is the most control I have in the world. I can mute and I can unmute. Right. Uh, how many? <laughs> yeah. How many? How many? How many people? How many married people or people in relationships do you suppose wish they had that as a superpower? Oh, my wife mutes me all the time. It's, uh, you know, when we're at dinner and I say the wrong thing and she kind of like, nudges me, uh, she mutes me, you know. Indeed <laughs> <laughs> she does. Indeed she does. That would be really nice. Uh, 19, kind of 19 a... years of marriage. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's cool. And so you're doing well? Uh, yeah, I just don't know if it's this day, that day, or the other day, but I'm um, doing well, you know. Um, <laughs> trying to make things happen. Uh with this coronavirus quarantine and uh, yeah, trying to, trying to just uh, trying to figure out what the next film is, trying to work with the Screen Actors Guild to have a plan and protocols in place for, uh, for filming the next movie. Well, that's exciting news. How is it working with the Screen Actors Guild? I mean, are, are they eager to get things going too, or <laughs> you really want to go there? <laughs> okay. We, we don't have to. <laughs> Let me ask you this. 
how is it working with the Department of Motor Vehicles? Okay. Uh, <laughs> point made. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean they, they're, you know, I, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> they're, they're doing good. So, I mean, the last, the last, you know, they're, they're trying to make things happen uh, right now. So that's good. In the past, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing with the Screen Actors Guild, it's, it's a very administrative, you know, we're creative and, 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 and we're go-getters, right? We're entrepreneurs. And then when you hit SAG, it's it's a it's a it, it it's a contrast to what filmmaking is because it's just this administrative behemoth that you're dealing with, and and you feel the strain of the SAG reps having to deal with the administration and all the paperwork because basically when you make when you sign and become signatory with SAG, you're basically signing contracts saying SAG owns your film unless you if you, if you don't pay people, um, so they're uh, very serious about their paperwork because really, honestly, they've been ripped off so much. I mean, there's so many fly by night production companies and producers through the years, you know, probably what happened if people didn't do that, but people do do that. And uh, so SAG is, uh, you know, you have to, so unfortunately it becomes a very administrative uh, uh, contractual relationship with SAG rather than a creative one, you know, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. I know a lot of, First-time filmmakers uh, don't want to go SAG for that very reason. They're like, "Well, they'll own my movie," and I'm like, "Well, then just pay people." You know, I mean, in other words, <laughs> yeah, live up, right, right. Live up. I mean, they don't want to own. I trust me, they don't want to own your movie because they don't know what to do with the movie that they bought that they end up with. I mean, I've heard stories where a SAG ends up with films they don't know how to distribute or make money from it. So they don't want to own your movie. They they want you to own your movie and sell it and then pay residuals. But right. yeah, the, the the simple answer is just pay. I mean. You have to remember that when you produce a movie um, or a distributor, if you're a distributor and you take a movie, someone's got to pay those residuals. Um, and, uh, and SAG will come after you for the residuals, um, and they will delay you getting your street deposit back uh, if you don't pay those residuals. So uh, it's part of, the, it's part of, the, it's part of the, 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 the plan. It's part of the game. And, uh, you know, the only way to get quality talent is to go through the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, you don't have to make a movie with SAG. You can make a non-union film, but you're you're not going to get um, you're not going to get name talent, which is how you sell your film and make money generally. And uh, you're not going to get a, 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 a you might get lucky with with nice talent, but you're going to get a much higher level talent um, through a SAG film. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and um, we we don't have to go there. I mean, it's <laughs> we could if we want to. You know, SAG and, and AFTRA merged and there was, you know, lots of dispute and disagreements and, you know, for that to eventually happen, you know, throughout the decades. And then it happened. Yeah. Um, and there was an argument that if you have two unions representing one body, one of them is going to disappear eventually. You know, it, it's not a it's not a wise thing. The uh, the rise of non-union. When I was a young actor in the in the seventies, uh, there was kind of this. I mean, there, there was only union. You didn't think of doing anything else. So the uh, the idea of doing a non-union film was, you know, like uh, porno. I mean, there was just like nothing. You know, it was it was like, right. it was either union or this dark, dirty. Uh, not trustworthy non-union kind of productions, and I had I had done a number of non-union productions prior to going SAG uh, in seventy four seventy five. But the, but 
But now, I mean, there's huge non-union. Do you, do you foresee a day when there is no union, when SAG has like lost its seat that and can control anything or everything, and that people just do what they want? Or do well. You- First of all, of, of the over 100 films I've produced, I've, I've never made a non-union film. So every film I've ever made is, uh, is with Screen Actors Guild. Um, uh-huh. I, um, uh, it's tempting, though, sometimes to make a non-union film just because uh, a lot of distributors and producers don't want to pay residuals and, uh, and don't want to pay those additional monies. So there's a lot of temptation out there to do it, um, but you're just not going to get the, uh, the, the, the cast that you want. Uh, in the future, do I think that people will, uh, or will 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 SAG a, a, a ultimately be disbanded, or people will go beyond SAG? Um, I think first of all, if SAG doesn't come up with solutions with the COVID nineteen coronavirus and get people back to work, that could happen. I really do believe that could happen. If they if they're getting too strict with protocols and things, um, that could ultimately be a problem because people need to work, and mm-hmm. uh, um, and and people. You know, um, you know, we don't have to get into the politics of coronavirus right. and COVID nineteen, but um, uh, there are there are you know different different uh, voices on the subject, and uh, and at the end of the day, people still need to work. And if we're going on to August, September, October, November, and studios and TV shows aren't working, uh, and part of that reason is because SAG uh, is not helping to find solutions and protocols to help people get back to work. I can see that happening. Um, mm-hmm. I could also in the future, I could easily see um, studios banding together and, and banding together and saying, you know, we're not going to use screen actors deal anymore. And uh, cause we don't want to pay residuals or we don't want to pay their prices or something and, uh, and band together. And, 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 and if they do that, then actors are going to have to leave SAG. But that's not that's not happening. I don't see that happening in the for, in the future. I don't foresee that. I don't. I don't. Uh, I think there's it's, uh, the union is strong enough for that not to happen. And I don't think there's that much acrimony between all the groups for that to happen. So, um, and I, I I don't really advise people to make a non-union film because I don't think it's really necessary because SAG has multiple uh, contracts. They have. Uh, Contracts for lower budget movies and 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 the modified low budget move, uh, contract is now called the moderate low budget contract, uh, but so they have all different solutions too uh, for filmmakers. So uh, not really a reason to go non SAG, uh, I don't think, um, unless of course you know you're you're doing a small student film kind of thing, but and you're you're working with friends, but if you want to get you know really qualified actors who have been on television shows and movies and bigger actors you have to go through the screen actors but uh there's solutions uh for for all sorts of budgets uh i think that's smart uh sag you know came up with all those solutions actually i think it was uh one of the one of the heads of all those solutions was paul bales who's one of the three owners of uh, the asylum uh paul bales is the head of uh uh sag indie uh, a decade ago and i think he was uh very involved in coming up with all the different contracts and things i'm not sure exactly who but i think paul was uh very involved in that. Well, that's fascinating. Well, I'm I'm proud to be a SAG member. I'm very happy. I mean, it was an accomplishment. I, I felt, you know, in, in getting into the union. I mean, I think that, you know, as an actor, that's one of the things that, you know, people, you know, have really, you know, strive to do. I find it uh, well. And at one time, it was quite necessary, and maybe still is. Um, 
but I, I mean, I do, I agree with you. I mean, the, the, I would even say that I encourage students to go SAG and use, use the SAG contract. I mean, it's a different situation with student films and, and, and one that they can easily do, but it gives people a structure to understand how to um, spend their time and their money and their energy um, uh, working through guidelines and, and, you know, the, even the penalty structure of a union um, that you don't get if you're just shooting whenever and however, you know, on a, on a weekend or something, making a movie. So I think that right. that's, you know, because, you know, what you just said, I've never made a movie that's not SAG. You've always worked within the realms of a professional business. And a lot of people make movies yeah. kind of as a grassroots thing and hope that they're going to get it distributed. And, and I think that so often people think, well, I just make a movie and it'll be a big hit. And then people will want to work with me. So if I can make it for no money, that's fantastic. And I always tell people, I think, you know, if I'm in business, I want to, I, I'm hiring the person who knows how to spend money wisely, not the person who has never spent money. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of trying to make movies for no money. Uh, I'm a yeah, huge fan of it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of telling people, go out and go make a movie, take your iPhone and go make a movie. I mean, I've talked about right. it with you. Um, but there are actually, rather than SAG guidelines, something that people need to be aware of is simply labor law guidelines. That's yeah. a lot of a lot of filmmakers don't recognize that SAG can, can't can't put you in jail, uh, can't take <laughs> your point. business away. But but the state can, and um, and uh, you know the labor board. You know I, I hear these horror stories of people who I haven't been. Someone was just telling me literally yesterday about how a production, a big production, a very large like a $50 million movie production hadn't paid this guy in five weeks. And I said, why did you go to labor board? If they don't pay within two weeks, you go to labor board and get not only get your money, but get penalties. He said, well, I don't want to, you know, I, I want them hiring me again. I want to cause a problem. But um, I mean, I'm, I'm very hyper aware of labor laws and how many hours um, people are working and, 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 and paying everybody through payroll and, and getting their overtime and, um, um, getting their turnaround time and, um, and, and, and ch- I make a lot of movies with children. So there's entertainment labor laws that have to be, you know, uh, I mean, if you don't, if you don't abide by those, uh, for instance, working with children, you need a permit to employ children for movies, but the permit actually is like the easiest thing in the world to get. You just literally go down the office in, in LA, it's in Van Nuys and, and you fill out a form and they give you the permit. That's it. I mean, it's, there's really nothing to it. But if you make a movie without that permit, uh, that could be a huge problem. So talk about guidelines and structure. You know, you, you do need to abide by all that because you've got to take care of your crew, take care of your actors. You don't want to be a fly-by-night operation. Uh, and that's the way you get people to come back and work for you. That's the way you build up a business and a resume is by, uh, by being, you know, as, as moral as you can and ethical as you can and, uh, and abiding by all the rules and regulations and laws. And, uh, and that's part of filmmaking because remember we talked about this too. It's it's film business, uh, right? You know, it's a business. You're not just in a room just making art for the fun of it. You're you're having to combine locations and people and vendors and food and all these things together to make your art in a in a business world. So you have to treat it that way. Um, creative creative you know, I make my commerce through the years, but it's creative commerce. It sure is, you know. Um, and you've got to really take it seriously. Uh, I mean, 
you know, years ago, a lot of things didn't care, didn't matter as much. They matter a lot more now. I mean, I mean, 20 years ago, I, I remember making a movie without insurance and just taking a chance. I mean, I, no way would I ever do that now. But I don't know. 20 years ago, it was a little more free and people weren't. I don't know. There's, it's just a different world slightly. And it's insane to do when I look back on it. But I was younger and stupid. Uh, um, and I don't advise, I, you know, just follow the rules. Take care of your crew. Uh, make sure you know all the, the, the as many rules and regulations you can. If you don't, you hire people on. Get yourself a good line producer who knows what they're doing to help you out with that stuff. Um, make sure you're keeping good track of the money, keeping good accounting, uh, getting all the contracts signed, you know, and, and everything will be fine. You'll be able to sleep at night. I love it. I love it. That's, that's great advice. And, uh, and I hope that uh, – especially people who are approaching the business for uh, their first or second times and things like that actually do take it to heart and, and go out and make their movies, but also understand the business side of this and, and embrace what you just said. Hey, we have a caller who's on and I want to bring the caller on in just a moment too. And, uh, and have the caller say hi and ask a question. Um, But I really do appreciate it. Now in terms of the changed world, I do want to say this (laughs) It's just my little analogy. When I was a child, you know, my, our family dog broke the boundary of the yard, ran across the street to one of my best friend's houses and bit their dog's tail and broke their tail. And uh, uh-huh. I was home, you know, with the, the babysitters. I mean, my parents were gone and, and they came home and the neighbors were like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. No, you know, no, no, no big deal. Dogs are dogs. You know, that will we'll be, will be. Today... Right. If something like that happened, there'd be lawsuits every which way. I mean, yeah, you know, it, yeah. it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different world. It just truly is a different yeah. world. And um, and people don't think the way they used to. So, uh, but with people that much said, more litigious, which is why, which is why you got to make sure when you're doing a movie that cross your T's and dot your I's. You really do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. So let's bring our caller on. So, uh, caller, I'm I'm un, I'm unmuting you, and I'd like you to say your first name and and where you're calling from. <laughs> and it's Godzilla. Yeah, I was going to say it's got to be a friend. <laughs> Don't have it. So we have a different caller, and uh, and we're going to go with that caller. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't normally do college shows. So it's, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, and if, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was Let's willing to we got here, right? if, if it weren't you and me on the phone, I could have left that playing in the background all night long. It would have been fun. But... <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> uh, hello, caller nine two nine. Who? Are, where are you? And who? Are, what's your name? First name. All right. Here's the big question: Are you a fan of anal sex? Okay. <laughs> Did you expect anything different, Rex? No, and that's why I don't, because I don't have anybody that I can. I don't have a, a person who is screening calls. I, you know, this isn't Frazier, so you, I don't have a right. Screen calls. Well, you it's, screen it's, calls that uh, that fine gentleman would have gotten past your screener. Well, that's true because they do. I mean, they they do. They they present well, and then they turn out to be that. Um, and as, as to the question, um, I guess we got <laughs> – we'll go there. Um, 
So regarding, um, <laughs> it's given me great pause. Uh, we had a breather yeah. and, and a question. Um, we were talking before the show about, about uh, making movies again, uh, sooner rather than later, and, and guidelines and things like that. Do you, do, are you, um, do you want to talk a little bit about what the, the future may hold in terms of, of reviving the business of, of coming out of quarantine and how that might move forward? Well, yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm a little um, unenamored, a little dissatisfied with all these articles I've been reading, the Odd Reporter and Variety, with all these 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 concepts as to how to get back to work. I feel like they're all written by people who don't work production. Uh, they're a little insane. I mean, uh, you know, actors doing their own makeup or actors putting their own microphones on or, you know, certain departments. Um, for instance, TV show, you might have uh, a sound mixer, a boom operator, a utility and, you know, people saying, well, you get rid of the sound mixer, get rid of the boob operator in the utility and just have a sound mixer. Well, okay, well, what happened to those two guys? They lose a job? Um, wow, yeah. Uh, Why would you do uh, that? Separate, would do they- well, be- because they're, they're talking about limiting the amount of people on a set. But it's, oh, it's, oh. I think it's all ridiculous. I think it's, at the end of the day, what's probably going to happen, I believe and I hope, uh, there's companies that, make, that are making tests. Like, for instance, this company called Abbott Labs that's got a machine now that can test if you're positive in five minutes, if you're negative in 13 minutes. And uh, from what I understand, the machine though only is 85% uh, correct, and they haven't gotten it up to 99%, but I'm, I'm sure they will. I read today that they've put out – they've manufactured 1.4 million machines, and they're making something like 50,000 a day, and it's, they're relatively cheap. And so I think that that's the kind of technology that maybe we'll need because there's no way – to make, there's no way making movies to social distance. There's no way. There really is no way. Uh, it's not going to happen. People can wear masks and gloves, but actors can't on camera. Uh, right, I've been right. reading these crazy things about writing scripts without without extras or or or, or doing extras digitally. It's not going to happen. But if you have a testing device uh, uh, or some sort of test where you can test people very quickly, uh, actors, crew, cast, cast, crew, vendors, whomever. They could show up on set, be tested. If they're positive, they go home, and they're negative, they stay. And, and then nobody has to social distance, and nobody because everybody's safe, and nobody has coronavirus, and it's fine. I think, to me, that's, that's the best way eventually. And eventually, though, I think the, the whole virus is going to go away, and, and we're, it's just going to be something in our past. Uh, but in the meantime, while, while people are worried about it and while, while there's still you know, death and, and, and sickness um, – to me, that's the best way. Um, the next movie that I do, um, those tests are not available yet. I'm hoping to make a movie in a month. What we're going to do is test crew and cast before uh, they leave for – we might shoot the next movie in Arizona. So when they leave for Arizona, we're going to test them before. If they're negative, they can, they can leave for Arizona. We'll all stay in the same hotel. Uh, when they arrive on set, we'll do temperature checks. Uh, everybody will wear masks as much as they can. They'll wear gloves. <laughs> um, it's a Western, so many of my actors could be wearing gloves. We'll disinfect gloves. We'll disinfect bathrooms and handles on, on trailer doors and, uh, um, you know, do everything we can to just make sure we're staying clean and hygienic. And, um, and if everybody's negative anyways and everybody's staying together, uh, there shouldn't be a problem. So that's sort of how I see it. 
happening. I hope ultimately, like I said, the whole thing just fizzles away and, um, and we don't have to worry about it and we can get back to life again. Right. Right. Well, and, and I would hope so. Um, Cause I, I, I gotta be honest. I can't imagine, you know, I mean, you can't have a, a an intimate conversation on screen if 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 you followed some of the you know the guidelines that they're suggesting. You can't have a crowd scene. I mean, the idea of doing digital stuff, as you mentioned, just seems uh, yeah, it's it's never next to preposterous. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I it just seems. Well, I, I guess right. I, I don't get, want to, and, I don't even want to make movies that way. You know, I'll get out no. of business. I don't want to make movies that way. You know, or I'll go to another right. country. You know. <laughs> well, well, there you go. You know <laughs> where, where you can do it, right? Uh, yeah, well, or go to a country that you know, New Zealand. I think uh, has like had like virtually no cases. You know, maybe we'll have to go shoot movies in New Zealand. But I don't want to. I, I think that would be a terrible thing. Is is to uh, to change the way you're telling a story uh, because you're afraid that you're going to get a disease. And and I understand it, but uh, if there's a uh, uh, if there's solutions, which I think there are, then we don't have to um, suffer uh, that, that sort of that, – I, I find it silly. I mean, two people talking closely together, what am I – I mean, I can shoot them in such a way where it appears they're very close together. Uh, mm-hmm. You could do uh, a lockdown shot and you put a character, you know, uh, in the frame and have them do the, do the scene to a, to a cardboard cutout, and then you put the other character in the scene – and you have to do the frame, the scene of the cardboard cutout, and then in post you put them together, and it looks like they're right next to each other talking, but they're not. I mean, I, I, I don't want to. Sure. I'm not interested in that. That's not interesting. Yeah. That's not. That's not making movies. So, of course, of course, you know, I mean, uh, special effects movies do it all the time, right? I mean, imagine how the the the, the guys who made say 300 on a huge green screen studio uh, felt, you know, or Jurassic Park <laughs> when they're running around you know, yelling at a, yelling at a, 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 a picture of a dinosaur on a stick. Um, but, oh, uh, I, uh, you know, I can't even fathom that, you know, I, I, I mean, I know that, you know, we grew up, most of us pretending and, and, you know, as an, as an older person now, I look and I go acting, you know, the fact that we get to pretend like little children, you know, as a career is, is just the most amazing thing. And I have said this for a long time. You you may or may not agree, but I'm like Shia LaBeouf is the is got to be the, like the world's best actor because he spent his entire career, you know, looking at a mop in front of a green screen, and uh, and and selling it. You know, I mean, it's like people who do right. that kind of work uh, to me uh, are just amazing talents to be able to sell stuff off of working in front of a green screen. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or, or, uh, or you see these people running, you know, like you see him running in something and he's running in front of a green screen or being chased by, something, you know, and there's nothing there. And he's just got to sell the fact that he's like really exerting and really ready. I just, I just like, I go, Oh my goodness. <laughs> and yeah, but, I'm glad know, I'm the HIM so I don't that, have to run. <laughs> I, I'm sure you can do it too it's 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 i think all actors have the ability to do that it's it is pretend like you said um but but the actual process of making a film that way um is is uh is just not as enjoyable as being out in the field you know i mean there's just something special when you're out uh um 
you know, when you're shooting in Hawaii or you're shooting in a trench in, in the middle of the desert or you're shooting uh, in Monument Valley or whatever it might be. I mean, that's just the experiential nature of that is beautiful. By the way, you know, uh, there's a really great uh, making of, of The Mandalorian uh, that talks about this new, um, this new um, uh, uh, technology they came up with that's uh, they shoot inside a massive circular uh, LCD or LED projected screen um, and they can create all the sets in the screen, just like the old days of, of rear screen projection, only this uh-huh. time, the actors are immersed in this and they're acting amongst it. And they even, uh, um, uh, for instance, the Mandalorian, there's uh, uh, Warner Herzog is, uh, is a character and he has an office and they only, I think they only built his desk and the entire office wow. is actually the screen, but the wow. actors can see it. And the screen moves relative to the actors. I mean, it's really great technology. And um, um, uh, you can watch um, some of these featurettes on The Mandalorian and see it. And that's a really great solution so that actors don't have to act in front of green screen. They can act. uh, They're not in the actual, you know, they're not outside in the middle of the desert, but it feels like it and they can see it. And I I think that's uh, that's a great solution, potentially. It is a great solution. It sounds like, but I, yeah. you know, it's it's an amazing thing, though. I mean, I, I, I agree with the idea. That, what I love about movie making and TV, you know, filmmaking is that, as an actor, from the actor's standpoint, um, over and above theater, which is fine. I love theater; it's great. But there's something about about standing and doing or sitting or whatever, but about being in front of camera for short durations. I mean, that might be you know, five minutes or whatever, but it, but short durations and troubleshooting. It, it's, I love, for example, I love extemporaneous speaking, put me in front of 20,000 people. I'm thrilled, you know, and, and, and say, just go out and talk to them. I'm like, great, let me do it. Um, so right. acting, you know, I, I mean, acting, I've got, you know, you get the size, you got your lines, you know, you know, your character, but, but there's, it's different than being in, in, in theater where there's, there's you're doing it you're immersed in it you do it for an hour and a half two hours and it's done we're movie making you you may be doing part of your scene one day and part of your scene you know a different day i mean it's just the oh yeah the it's the it's all the different intricacies and all the things that can go wrong that make it really fascinating and challenging and wonderful to be a part of well directing to me is uh playing a game of chess all day long all day long, you've got to make moves and you've got to look forward. You know, a good chess player is thinking, you know, three, four, five, ten moves ahead. Right. And when you're when you're making a film, mostly when you're directing, uh, ADs need to think this way also. But every department really does need to think of these things. But ultimately, the director does, uh, um, and and actors need to. But but again, ultimately, the director um, is 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 problem solving all day long, and the act of problem solving in a real environment with, with a social environment with people and with weather and with locations and all that is actually very exciting. Um, yeah. and to me, it's a lot like, it's a lot like playing a sport, you know, it's a lot like being the manager of a baseball team and everything is happening in real time. And you have to, you have to problem solve that stuff to, uh, to make the best product you can within the time frame you have to work with. And um, so there's something very exciting about that. So, you know, if anybody yes. is, thinking of directing, you really need to embrace that. A lot of people, they might direct first time, 
fifth time, tenth time, and 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 sometimes directors can get uh, can get uh, um, um, static or 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 incapable of uh, of problem solving in the moment, and you really have to challenge yourself. Uh, for those surprises and challenge yourself for those, for those uh, experiences um, and, and look forward to them um, so that you, you're always sort of in the game and you're always trying to figure things out and always problem solving and just always on your toes. Um, you have to do it. It's the nature of it. Uh, whereas, whereas theater, you know, you have to do that initially, but once everything's set, it's, it's set night after night after night. You don't want those problems. You know, you don't want them in the movies too, but it's the nature of the beast. Well, I, but I love that because that, that is, that is the, the description, the, the notion of solving problems, finding solutions and making what you want to bring your vision to the screen um, and to have to, you know, overcome whatever challenges there might be in real time um, is a thrilling, I, I think part of the process. It is thrilling. And, um, yeah, in fact, in fact, uh, sometimes, I mean, I, I think that a lot of people find that making lower budget indie films is more thrilling and more exciting and more, uh, uh, uh you know, you just, you get your senses going just because every move can, can, can be, uh, a huge strain on the budget, uh, because, uh, you're moving much faster instead of shooting, you know, one to two pages a day, you're shooting six to 12 pages a day. And uh, it makes, you know, you might not be able to make as good a quality of product as a studio might, but your experience is actually so much more, uh, um, just all your senses are just going like crazy rather than, you know, taking the time, you know, the art department has, you know, six hours to set up and then you have, you know, it's indie films. You got to really move, you got to really move and, uh, and, uh, you got to really appreciate that and, and be excited by that process which I am, you know, I really, I really, uh, I really get excited about, about the, uh, like I said, the problem solving or having to move faster, you know, here comes a storm. We got to shoot quick or it's raining now. Where do we shoot next? Or, uh, or an actor, an actor didn't show up. What's my solution? You know? Um, yeah. You you really get a lot of that from indie filmmaking. You know, the bigger the film you make actually the more control the environment, which is great. But uh, not many people have the opportunity to make movies of that of, of huge budgets. Um, so, so you have to embrace it on the lower budgets and then really enjoy the process. That's so cool. Two of my favorite quotes come from Henry Ford. And the first is, if you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. So it's a matter of, of, of what you bring to the table. You know, if you decide you can't do it, you probably won't. If you decide you can do it, there's a chance that you will, especially if you act on it. But the other quote is, Henry Ford said, I never let what I can't do prevent me from doing what I can. And right. uh, I don't think about what I can't do. You know, I just, I just do what I can do and let the, what I can't do fall away. And, and, and it, it's, it's an amazing thing because I, I'll be somewhere and people say, well, we can't do that. And someone else will say, well, what if we did it this way? And then boom, it's there. You know, and so it's about finding solutions um, when confronted with situations that sometimes seem hopeless, but knowing that that there is probably a way that you can you can still move forward and you can still accomplish what you want. Maybe not the way you had, had originally planned it, but you can accomplish it. You can get things done that you never thought you might do before. And those kinds of 
problem solving, that kind of creative breakthrough, um, you know, it's just amazing to have because it's about the resilience of the thinking, you know, and, and then the actual carrying it out that, um, that right. brings well, that's, things that's, to life. Uh, you've heard my mantra, the FCWTP mantra, flexible compromising with the program. Uh, yeah. That's how you make a, that's how you make a, a, a movie look great is you, you've got to be flexible compromising with the program. So um, you also, I think as a director, you never have to do anything except for tell people what to do. It's a kind of an interesting job. <laughs> Everybody right. else is there for you. You really just need to sit in the chair and, and conduct. It's like a conductor of an orchestra. The conductor doesn't play the violin or hit the drums or play the oboe, the conductor, you know, and, and as a director, if you have good crew and good, good cast, good pieces in place, you can really accomplish a lot. And you don't need to have a lot of crew. You don't need to have a, a, a big story. Um, you know, you can tell a great story in a, in a smaller contained location or less actors. Um, and you don't need to have a big crew, but you need to understand your pieces like you're the coach of a football team and understand what the offensive line does and the linebackers, the tight end and the quarterback and the receivers and all those you know, special teams, all those pieces. And the better you understand your pieces and be able to conduct, uh, conduct them, you can, the, the better the product you're going to make. The better the yeah. the more the closer you're becoming to the art of cinema, I think, if you really understand all those pieces, and you make oh, your absolutely. life easier too. <laughs> Indeed, and speaking of conducting a, a symphony, those each of those individuals playing together in harmony under the direction of the conductor, each know their parts and their place in the symphony. You don't get the triangle person going off on their own, you know, doing their own thing. Well, they, yeah, but they know how to play it. Well, you know, in a perfect world, yes. Generally, on a bigger budget right. movie, uh, uh, people do that. On a on an indie well, film or a lower budget movie, I work with a lot of people who really don't know their role very well, and I I try to take them under my wing and teach them, and others try to teach them, and before you know it, they're figuring it out. But uh, sometimes you have to be a little patient. Of course. With people, and if you want to get the most out of them and have them have the best experience possible. Uh, then you, you, uh, sometimes you have to show them how to play that instrument, you know, uh, Absolutely. or, or, or challenge them to be better or champion them. Uh, you know, I do a lot of that. I have to do a lot of that because, uh, I work with a lot of young crews and a lot of young crew members. I give a lot of crew members opportunity to do things too, that they, they, they never thought they could do or challenge people, uh, uh, to take jobs that, uh, that they hadn't done before. Um, and that's exciting, actually. Um, at the end of the day, all that matters is what's in that, what's in that frame. You know, people should always watch their monitor. I've worked with directors before, before I was directing, who didn't want to watch the monitor. They just wanted to watch the actors. And that's great. But at the end of the day, all that matters is what's in that rectangle. And, right. um, um, and the great thing about shooting digital is it's uh, what we call WYSIWYG, right? What you see is what you get. And... Um, People ask me all the time, do you watch dailies? I said, why would I watch dailies? I'm literally watching what I see is what I get right there on set. I don't have to watch the dailies. I don't have to watch it over again. Back in the days of film, no. when you had a, either you had a tap or you didn't have a tap, and even if you had a, a video tap, it wasn't very good, you didn't really know what you're getting. You didn't really know, and there's things you didn't see because you're looking through a bad video tap or you didn't look through it at all, or maybe you look through the – the eyepiece and then the DP gets back to it. Uh, but these days with digital and with, uh, you know, you're on set with a big 17 inch monitor, or even bigger, or, 
Uh, you can see everything, and uh, all that's important is what's in that rectangle. That's it. Well, very, 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 very cool. Um, I, you said something, and I, and I, I want to be careful how I proceed here, but you do give people a lot of opportunities, and you and you talk about, you know, and I and I, uh, I think I mentioned this one of the either in private conversations or on the air before. You know, one of one of the moments that I enjoyed being on set with you was watching you actually tutor uh, and discuss what was going on with with one of the actresses who was sitting, you know, in the village, video village with you, and uh, and you had, uh, yeah, I think we talked about it on the air, and you had mentioned, you know, that it was that it was fun, and she was very interested, and you were, you know, talking about, you know, making different uh, shot selections, as I recall, and um, so how. Because I want to tread this lightly, but um, how would somebody approach you, or how would somebody break into the business, uh, being a new person, to to find you or someone like you who who is willing to consider giving somebody a, a first time opportunity? Well, I think that I, I think that um, you know, let me say this is, is a lot of people come to my, there's, there's different types of people that come to work on a set. So let's, let's say a production assistant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some production assistants who, you know, they do their job. They, they sit on the sidelines. They wait to be called. Um, they don't really get involved and they do a good job, but they're not really involved and they don't, and they wait to be called upon. Um, if you're on a set, you're a production assistant. Um, you're going to get a lot more out of it and you're going to get all the crew, all the keys of each department answering questions, helping you if you're proactive. So I think the best way to actually get, so let's say you're already on set. I mean, there's two things you got to get on a set, but if you're already on set, be proactive, ask people questions, show that you're interested, tell the AD, the director, the producers, you know, you're willing to do anything. You'll, you'll, you'll work in any department. Uh, I mean, uh, when I first started working on movies, I, I remember this one, uh, uh, one thing I did where I was literally the dripping water person outside on the other side of the set for about three hours, you know, mm-hmm. and had to drip water into a set. You know what I mean? Like, just willing to do anything. And then really people will appreciate it. If you go up to the camera department and ask them to explain F-stops, explain uh, uh, lenses, to go to the, the, the gaffer and say, can you explain me the difference between that light say a tungsten or an HMI or a LED light. And the more you show that you're proactive and interested, the more people will, will go, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good crew member because that person likes filmmaking and wants to be involved. So if you're on set, I suggest being proactive, getting involved, because to me, people who, who just work and they sit on the sidelines and they wait to be called upon instead of getting involved and ask, they don't actually really work for me again. Um, in fact, I let someone go a couple movies ago because um, this person was uh, begged and pleaded me for a job as a production assistant. And then when the person was doing the production assistant job was, was, um, was uh, on their phone um, and uh, sitting by the craft service table all day long. And, no. and we would ask the person to come on set and then they would just disappear and go back again. They're like, well, why are you here? Okay, you're here to earn money. I get it but you begged me to be on a film to learn about filmmaking and I'm trying to offer you opportunities and everybody on the set's offering you opportunities and you're not, you're not getting involved. So I actually let her go because uh, 
it, it, it wasn't working out, and I was I was mm. really surprised. Conversely, if you if, to, to get on a movie, I I suggest um, uh, if you want to start working on movies, uh, I suggest telling people, letting people know that you want to work on movies, getting on uh, uh, sites like Craigslist, Mandy.com, uh, uh, finding opportunities where you can just start at the bottom. Because if you're a real go-getter and you're interested um, and, uh, you know, you can start at the bottom on a, on a film set and work your way up very quickly. If anything, you know, get involved so you learn everything and then you can make your own movies or you can take on another job. Or if you like art department but you're a production assistant, you get involved with the production designer and you start working with the production designer. And before you know it, the production designer says, hey, I want this person in my department. And then the producer's like, okay, I'll give you that person. I'm going to go hire another PA to cover that job. And now you're in the production design department, the art department, you know? So it, it, so much has to be uh, uh, your proactiveness. And, and producers and directors and, and keys of departments will latch on to you uh, if you're interested. Because we love making movies. We love talking movies. We love uh, watching movies. We love uh, the experience of, of, of the whole camaraderie of making it. So every time we find a crew member – or a new a newbie crew member who has that same desire, they get they get sucked in real quick, and then before you know it, they're off and running and they're they're working on movie sets all day long. That's 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 wonderful, and and uh, I think that anyone listening who who wants to 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 work in movies should should absolutely follow that advice. I think that I think um, I have I don't think I've ever been on a set. Where, if you asked, I mean, I'm sure there are examples. I'm sure there's counterexamples to every, you know, every situation. There's always somebody who could be a curmudgeon, but I can't, I can't, in ever think of a time where if you asked an honest question, that somebody wasn't forthcoming with an answer, that somebody didn't enjoy being able to share something. I think one of the true magic or one of the things that's so enjoyable about being on movie sets is the number of stories that crew and cast members have to share about other crews and cast and movie making in general. I mean, there is something about the, you know, we're, we're, if you get to make a movie, you are truly a a lucky person. (laughs) You know, you, you are part of a community yeah, you know, on a movie set, there's actually a lot of time to socialize, and we have a good time. Right. We have fun. I worked in an architecture firm in college, and every I, I, it, it was a it was an office building in uh, in Los Angeles. It was uh, like a whole floor of an office building, um, and there were a hundred architects at drafting tables, and nobody's socializing, nobody's talking. It's a very boring, uninteresting environment. I wanted to be an architect until I worked at this place, I think, but. Uh, <laughs> There's no time to socialize. There's no, there's no time to be laughing out loud. There's no opportunity to laugh out loud. And, and, and if you go over to one of the architects and say, teach me something, they're like, butt off. I got my work to do. Not to say all architects are like that. Trust me. Right. I still want to be an architect one day. Uh, I love architecture. But when you work in a – it was an architecture firm that, that generally designed shopping malls and condo complexes. And everybody was so darn serious about what they did. And uh, – and and I was a young, uh, you know, a young uh, um, runner kind of kind of kid working there, running blueprints and office supplies and going out and doing measurements and things. I was really, I had no idea really. I thought that this is just the way all business is. But movies are not like that. Movies are are 
uh, an opportunity to, to really get to know and t- get to know people. Uh, you, you leave movies with long friendships. Uh, you really get to know people because uh, you're with them for 12 hours a day. Uh, office settings are just generally not like that. It's too bad. It might be, it might be something to think about if you're, if you're a manager of an office uh, with a lot of, a lot of employees is, is to, to have times of sharing and times of getting to know each other and, and uh, exploring different ideas and things, because that's what happens on movie sets. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's valuable and it's also good for the soul. I think, uh, aren't we noticing now with this quarantine that we all want to, you know, being without human contact really, really sucks. I mean, uh, you can be a real spiteful person or like curmudgeon you, like you said, and, and think you don't want to be around people. And then you're in quarantine for a month and you're like, you know, I actually enjoy working <laughs> with other people and, and spending time or going out to, 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 to restaurants. I mean, how many times you go out to a restaurant and there's a kid crying next to you and there's a crowd of the family over here and the other people talking loud and the waiter's not serving you properly. You know something? I would do anything to have that back right now. You know, um, movie sets are like that, you know, and uh, I can't wait to get back to making movies again so we can have that, that experience, you know, that human experience. We're only on the earth for so long. So why not make it enjoyable? I, I really feel for those architects in that architecture firm. Uh, they're Indeed. really uh, uh, not enjoying uh, life. And they all went to architecture school. In architecture school, you learn how to design. Uh, you learn, you, you, you don't actually, architecture school doesn't really teach you how to draw blueprints. Um, and, and they really don't teach you how to build buildings. They teach you design and conceptualization of buildings. And then you get into the real world. It's a little dull unless you have your own architecture firm, you know, or unless you work for an architect who understands this, maybe a Frank Geary or something. Um, and so I feel for those people on a movie set. Uh, sometimes I have to tell everybody, like everybody just chill, stop talking so much. You know, we need to focus, you know, right. <laughs> I mean, where, could you imagine that you walk into an architecture firm and everybody's just running around talking and then the, the, the head of the architecture firm tells everybody calm down, you know, but maybe they need it. They might need it. They might have something they can learn from us on movie sets. I like to have a good time on a movie set. It's critical to have for me creatively, creatively, I need to enjoy myself. I need to feel like people are having fun. I need to feel like I can crack a joke. I need my actors to enjoy the process, whether it's a drama and serious or whether it's a comedy, <laughs> it's the same energy needed to be creative. Sometimes I'll make a movie and there'll be an actor who brings a level of, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, you know, every so often there'll be an actor who's just not enjoyable to work with. Um, and, right. and, and really puts the set on, on, at attention <clears throat> and mm-hmm. it really drains the set of energy and it actually really damages performances. Like even when it's a, now if it's serious and it's a serious moment and there's crying involved, yes, everybody's calm. Everybody's, you know, nobody's being loud, but you know, when that's done, we can be, we can enjoy ourselves again because that creative energy, those juices, you feel them on a movie set and you need it. But, man, when there's an actor on set who's difficult, ah, it just drains the set. It really does. Really well, does. you've made so many excellent points and, and, and brought so much to the table in that, um, you know, I am a huge proponent of positive thinking. And I don't think that positive thinking is what most people conceptualize as positive thinking. But the idea is when you're thinking right, when your attitude is right, you feel better. And when you feel better, you are more yes. productive and you get things done. If you feel you know, if you feel sad or angry or frustrated, I mean, it's not that you can't bootstrap stuff or get through things or, or use, you know, willpower and determination. But if you're, if you're angry and, 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 you know, your life 
you know, your concerns are, and, and, and here's the thing that I do hope as a result, and I'll wax philosophic for the coronavirus thing. Um, it's a time for us to really stop and pause. What you said about, I'd give anything to have the kid crying next to me and the commotion and whatever, you know, that to get back to that is, you know, we have gone on and on and run on for a long time and got annoyed at, at, at life and people and processes and, and, and have turned this literally like a garden paradise into, into a, uh, a less than glorious um, architectural you know, uh, a place to work where, where, I mean, people, people, I, I can't imagine working wall street where you look at the stress and the level of, of, uh, right. You know what I mean? I mean, just, uh, and, and, yeah. And to segue a little bit, I used to, when I was in, you know, in my teens, I used to have to wear the, you know, the fashionable clothes and the tight jeans, and I had to be look a certain way. And the woman that I worked for is a writer. I was the I was the creative muse of a woman writer, and uh, so she brought me all these like Hawaiian shirts and drawstring pants and and flip flops, and said, well, you know, if you're going to work around here, this is how you should dress. And I'm like, well, don't tell me how to dress. So I just want you, I just want you to relax. You're so uptight. You look like you're in pain. You know, and if we're going to write, you need to you need to be able to relax and let go. And so I, I, you know, I I eventually started to do this and she would say, well, let's go to the flea market or let's go down to Sunset Boulevard, grab a coffee or whatever. And we would. And I got used to wearing these clothes. Now I I don't even want to take them off, you know, try and put me in a three piece suit or something. I I actually I can do it, but I don't want to do it because I'm like, um, because it's it's fun to live and it's fun to be able to breathe. And it's fun to have fun, and and there, so much of the work environment. We we when I go back to the coronavirus, is a is a way to look at and reassess of have we lost contact with things that are truly important to us, and can't we do it better if we have the opportunity to to reemerge? Couldn't we make corrections, course corrections, like you would if you were sailing or you you know piloting a plane? Make course corrections for life, where we live happier and healthier. And we aren't driven by so many of these things that we thought were important that create stress and frustration and ag- and animosity between people. Um, I think that what right. you said about making movies and having fun, you know, you hear the horror stories and stuff. I, I always thought that one of the reasons why making movies to me was so valuable and that why we created long-term friendships were because we knew how hard it was to get there. You know, you had yeah. to somehow get there and and everybody who's on a set kind of looks at each other and knows what you had to go through in order to, to be on that set. You know, you had, you know, and so you have a camaraderie and then, and then from there, like you said, you, you either have fun or you have somebody who just is a disruptor, but if you have fun and you spend long hours together, the, the bonding is just incredible. Right. Right. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know if, fun is it's 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 a it's a accepting the way human beings are you know it's funny uh you know i make a lot of westerns and um um we work with a lot of horses and uh horses are herding animals they want to be with each other and Uh every time you separate a horse from the herd they start neighing back and forth to each other let's say the the the, let's (laughs) say i'm working with 10 horses and nine Uh are back at the trailer and one is on set and that one on set will neigh and then the nine others at the trailer will neigh back and they don't want to be away from each other. They want to be with each other. They're herding animals, you know, 
that's why it's very sad when a horse uh, lives alone because they really need a mate uh, because they're like that. Uh, right. You know, people, people, as much as sometimes we want to admit it, we are kind of social herding animals. And, sure. And uh, when you're, when you're working on a film set, not only do you yearn for that, that, that connection is important, but we're also, it's a very physical job in that if you work in an office, let's say you work in wall street, you're on your computer, you hit email to the person three offices over. You don't actually get up and go walk over and talk to them. And then you, they answer back <laughs> to you. And then maybe you see them at the water cooler. It's, but on a movie set, it's uh, okay. Uh, this person needs to hold this Apple box in place while the actors there hold their hand. And then the other person needs to get, grab their shoulder. So they're in place or, you know, the, the, or the steady cam operators, you know, walking and someone needs to hold the state camera operator's back so they don't fall over. And if someone needs to hold the flag so the wind doesn't blow on them, and then that for someone else, and there's a lot of connection going on between people. And uh, right. it's the nature of the job. It's the nature of the business. And you have, to, you have to enjoy that connection between people and keep it light, keep it interesting, keep it fun so that everybody is working and interrelated with each other well because you can't, you can't not do that. Everybody can't just suddenly go to their offices and go back to work, you know? Work is, work is a very communal experience on a movie set. And um, there's really uh, very few things that are like it in life. I mean, you know, the construction site's not like that. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, actually. You know, uh, uh, you know what's like that is a, uh, is a pit crew on a, on a racing team, you know? Yeah. A pit crew good. on a racing team. They've got to work together and, and do things in a very expedited way and in a very certain way and, and support each other and then evaluate what went wrong. At, at, at the end of each stop and then come back again. So a well-oiled movie set is kind of like a pit crew working together. And sometimes it's actually very exciting when you're really well-oiled, everybody's working well together and you get through in a day and, and, and you feel like it just flew by and, and you feel like you got great shots and great moments. And uh, that happened. I shot a movie in Hawaii right before this whole quarantine thing happened. And uh, um, uh, we had, we had, we all, we all, we all lived together and, two houses the crew lived in one house and another and we were in this compound on lanikai beach in hawaii it was a great experience and every day we we'd work hard and it was really just everything was flowing really well And the end of the day uh uh the crew would would make dinner in the kitchen and we'd all have this great dinner together uh and then some of the crew would go off and you know enjoy themselves watching tv or get together and have a drink or whatever and and it was just this really great communal experience that was really flowing well because everybody was working like a pit crew together. We got our days done early and we felt like we got great stuff. And, uh, actually we just watched picture on Monday. So, uh, oh, moving wow. into the next phase of, uh, post-production wow. on that movie. Wow. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. I highly, I highly recommend anybody to make a movie in Hawaii. Hawaii is a wonderful <laughs> place. Uh, wonderful people in Hawaii. Um, it's just beautiful there. And, um, uh, I've done it five times now and, uh, just everything about Hawaii is, is, is magical. It really is. Um, and, uh, what I do is I rent gorgeous houses right on the water and we shoot there and we stay there and we shoot in other places too. But, um, you know, to wake up every day with turquoise water and, and, and the water's oh, the house. and then, and then it's a free vacation. You didn't yeah, pay for there it. you go. Well, I, th- you know, I think you need no. to. I think you need to write a few uh, Western Hawaiian set. <laughs> you know, I thought about it because I have ridden horses on a volcano in Maui, 
So, there you uh, go. Uh, um, I, 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 you know, there's no reason why you can't do a Western Hawaii, right? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> we, we went, we went for the volcanoes and the waters. I mean, you know, that's very cool. Hey, Michael, we're at that halfway point. I want to take a, a break and uh, tune the audience into to uh, different things, but I want to give them an opportunity to connect with you. Do you have uh, uh, any information or website or anything that you want to um, mention well, at this Instagram's moment? The most public. The Instagram's the best. It's Mike Pfeiffer. Just, uh, you know, uh, go on Instagram. It's just Mike Pfeiffer, no spaces. Uh, Facebook is, uh, is just Michael Pfeiffer. Um, and then um, keep looking out for uh, Soldier's Revenge. The Soldier's Revenge yeah. is coming out June 16th on DVD and VOD. And we, we, we need to I, – I need people to, to buy it, to download it, because we need to show that Western sell. If Western sell, we can make more Westerns. Uh, it's uh, westerns are a very strange genre. People want it, but the, the audience wants it, but the distributors don't think it's worth it. And uh, it's very hard to get westerns made because of that. And if we just keep showing westerns being successful, uh, we'll be able to keep making them. And um, and uh, um, so that's that's my biggest push of a product right now um, is uh, a soldier's revenge. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's exciting. All right, all right. So we're gonna take a a short uh, intermission here while I give uh, some stats out and, uh, and then we'll be right back. Thank you, Michael. Sure. You're listening to Rex Sykes movie beat. And my guest is Michael Pfeiffer. And I'm sure enjoying the conversation. I hope you are as well. I'm sure you are. So please leave comments wherever you are able to, whether it's at the blog talk site or on Facebook or social media or, or Mike's Instagram or, or wherever you can. Uh, that's really valuable. All of my shows are available through blogtalkradio.com. That's one word, B-L-O-G-T-L-A-K-R-A-D-I-O.com. Or there are archive shows, about 400, 500 hours at rexsykes.com. That's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. That is a legacy site. It cannot be up. It is what it is. But there are there are about four or 500 hours of, of uh, professional filmmakers discussing movie making and content creation and storytelling. Um, you know, as, as I've said, everyone in front of the camera and, and, or behind the scenes. Um, so uh, go and listen to these. Michael has done uh, a couple of shows prior to this. So you want to listen to everything that Michael has to offer and say on uh, movie making and television making and, and creating uh, this process. Um, be sure to check that out. And I highly encourage you to Christopher Lockhart will be my next guest. Christopher Lockhart is a story editor at William Morris Endeavor. Uh, he's read over 60,000 scripts, and his job is to get scripts into the hands of, of the name talent at, at the uh, agency that he represents. And uh, he has been a, a prior guest as well. He's coming back. We're going to talk uh, story creation and the craft of writing and, and pitching and things like that with uh, Christopher Lockhart uh, live. We will be May 7th. If you're listening to this in you know 20 years, it's May 7th. Uh, 2020 and uh, at the usual time in the morning. Uh, so check, uh, you know, the, the, my, my website and different places or Facebook to find out when and where that is Christopher Lockett. And then we'll have other guests as well. My book came out uh, on my dad's 99th birthday. I did a Kindle sale. And so the book came out, it's life on your terms, create the life you want. And uh, it's available at amazon.com It's in paperback or Kindle. You can get it there if you're, interested and now we're going to return back to Michael Pfeiffer
<laughs> I love and you're back. <laughs> I love the Does it say something to you when you get muted and unmuted? Um, unmuted. Sci fi movie. <laughs> <laughs> there should be the sound it's of great. a door, you know, going shh or something. Right, and right, a, and, right. And a howl like voice. My mom, you know, when we were live, we'd be driving and, you know, she, she, the, the, uh, the GPS would go off and she'd say, where does that woman want you to turn? <laughs> was always, it was always that woman, not what does the GPS want? It was, Ooh, that, that, that lady, who, where does she want you to go now? Right, my my no. GPS is an Australian woman, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, the, the, turn on the Barbie. <laughs> so, it was a bad Australian accent, but... Uh, but anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about. I got the um, <laughs> good, I'm glad. Um, let's talk a little bit about Soldiers' Revenge, and uh, I know we've talked about some of it before, but because it is opening, and and you said you, I think you mentioned the last time that one of the reasons why westerns weren't selling so well is because around the world people didn't really get westerns. You know. You know, Rex, it's it's one of the uh, it's one of those things in in life I just don't quite understand what what the foreign markets why they have such a fear of westerns. I, I don't really understand their stories, their dramas generally, because um, it's the, it, it, it's assumed that it's the American experience, and uh, for some reason, even though American movies play all over the world, American stories play all over the world. Uh, for some reason, uh. uh foreign distributors don't think that that particular American experience sells to their, their clientele, their audience. I don't believe it. I think their audience will watch Westerns. I think the distributors who are the middlemen between the audience and, uh, and the producers uh, uh, don't, don't think it. And I guess their numbers don't show it, but I don't know if they're buying enough of them and pushing them the right way to, uh, to promote them. But, but generally foreign buyers, they see a, a horse and a cowboy hat on a, on a on a movie poster and they don't want anything to do with it. Um, so mm. I think the only way to change that is 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 uh, is commerce, right? The only way to change it is is to to get people to buy them. And if they buy them, um, the distributors will change their minds. But um, I'm not sure what the disconnect is. I mean, you know, um, westerns were shot in Spain, you know, and uh, and there's lots of cowboys all over the world. There's not just cowboys in America, you know, so. It's interesting. Yeah. So I guess maybe a lot of Westerns are, are about, it, it's a funny thing. I mean, American movies about Vietnam or World War II or World War One, they sell in Europe. Uh, why movies about the Civil War or generally Westerns aren't about war anyways. They're, they're, they're really post-war movies, you know. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't really have an answer for it. I, I think a lot of it is the distributors in the foreign markets don't want to take a chance. They think it's taking a chance on something their audience doesn't like, but I think if they gave it a shot, they'd find out their audience uh, 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 will will like westerns. Well, that's yeah. that's. I mean, it's really is interesting. I mean, maybe it is the, you know, distributors dictating what their audiences, you know, get to see as opposed to what the audiences want. But uh, yeah, I, I, when yeah, you I were when you, when you first mentioned it, I thought, well, you know, we'd have war movies, and yet, and we have, an, you know, a, a, a ninja fascination, martial arts. You know, we 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 buy that stuff over here. You would think that Western as a genre is is is. I mean, Star Wars is a Western. I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, I mean, it's just of course, right. you know, 
putting a hat and a horse on something. I mean, you could anything could be a western almost. But uh, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I don't westerns, want to diminish the genre. Huh? Oh, well, westerns, westerns hit westerns hit the hammer right on the head of the nail of 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 moral stories, of ethical stories, of of, yeah. of stories of all sorts of of of, of uh, interest and drama sometimes more than anything else and uh and uh anguish and uh and, and an interesting thing about westerns is is uh there's no technology to help the character uh right so Good point. the character Good point. has to figure things out you know with their own you know emotions their own personalities and their own physical ability and and i i think sometimes telling stories like that are, are even more powerful and i think audiences around the world would connect um It'd be interesting. I never researched if Sergio Leone uh, movies uh, did well all over Europe. I'd like to. I, I should research that to see um, uh, because his westerns have a different feeling, a different vibe generally than American westerns, but they're still westerns, you know. But um, they're spaghetti westerns. It'd be interesting. Well, it's sure a very fact. Uh, hopefully, Soldier's Revenge <laughs> will uh, sell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What do you? Um... Well, let's let's turn back to shooting star then too. What what it, you know we we discussed it in the in in one of our other conversations you know about the the storyline. But um, while that story could be told in modern day to some extent, what is it? It's not. It's told as a western. So what is the what are those elements that that make Anything you know, a, a, like a good western that make it. Um, well, I mean, well, first of all, Shooting Star, Shooting Star is actually a family film, and it's actually a girl power film to tell you the truth. What's yeah. funny is Peter Schrako came up with the original storyline. <laughs> so uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know how many of your audience know who Peter Schrako is, but Peter Schrako is uh, he was Texas Jack the Million and Tombstone, and Peter is sort of the go-to Western guy. When you make a, when you make a Western, you, you, you call up Peter and uh, he'll, uh, he'll rent you. Uh, uh, he'll, he'll, he can help oversee all the Western aspects of the movie and he'll rent you guns and saddles and props and wardrobe. And, um, and also, um, you know, sort of opine on whether or not your, your script is written correctly. Peter goes through my scripts and, and adds all the Western lingo, but um when we were deciding after soldier's Revenge and deciding what movie to make next, uh, I had said, let's make a movie about mounted shooting. Cause Peter and our executive producer, Rick Peel, um, they were big fans of mounted shooting, specifically Rick and his wife, Anne. And, uh, so I said, let's make a Western about mounted shooting. And Peter came up with a storyline. That's actually a, a young 15 year old girl who, um, who, um, her sister gets injured in the beginning of the movie and is paralyzed. And at the same time, um, uh, uh, someone from the Colt company shows up in town with a competition to win $5,000. And so the little girl whose name is star. It's like called shooting star decides she's going to enter the competition to win money to, 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 to get the surgery for her, her, her sister. Um, but, um, uh, you know, can the story be told today? Sure. It can, but honestly, uh, Peter, uh, loves making Westerns, uh, Rick, right. who, uh, unfortunately passed away. And, uh, um, um, unfortunately, uh, Rick passed away, but, but he, his, his joy was, was, was Westerns and, and horses and all that. And, uh, so it was made in, made in, 
uh, in his honor and eventually the post-production is in, in his memory. But um, wow. so we decided to tell the story in a Western fashion. Did it have to be told in a Western fashion? No. But what's interesting sometimes is, like I said, because technology is not available, <clears throat> stories can be told in a, sometimes in a more interesting way, in a more connective way. Um, you know, when I write movies now that are contemporary, it's amazing how often someone is on a cell phone just because yes. that's what we do. Before cell phones, you'd write a script and someone had to drive to somebody's house, have a talk with them, and, and the dialogue and the drama would be really intense. But now it doesn't make sense. Now an audience watches a movie and they're like, why would that person go to the house and they just call them on the cell phone? So you can't write it that way. You literally have to write the cell phone into the movie. <clears throat> but the cell phone takes away from the human connection and certain opportunities for drama, I think. So a Western uh, you know, strips the movie strips the story of all of those, those technological things or, or uh, of challenge that we always have in the Westerns is, is getting from point A to point B and in what time frame, because they just couldn't do it very quickly back then. Um, you know, someone could ride a horse, you know, uh, 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 10 to 20 miles in a day if they're, if they're lucky, you know, and uh, these days you jump in your car and you go to your friend's house uh, <laughs> 10 miles away. So right. it, it brings a different level, a different type of storytelling. And sometimes it actually allows for, um, opportunities between characters that you, you, you're not getting anymore in movies uh, because technology is getting in the way. So it's kind of interesting, actually. Um, and then, of course, everybody loves just the period aspect. And, the, and I mean, it's, there's, it, there's nothing better than, than, than walking on set and everybody's in their wardrobe and you're on a <laughs> set on, a, on a, in an old Western town and you've just been brought back because if there's anything movies have the ability to do is, is time travel, you know? Um, and, and there's nothing cooler than time traveling. Right. And, um, you go to the movies and time travel, but when it's actually in your real life, you're on set and you stepped into this other time and you're really experiencing it completely, not just on a screen in front of your face with just uh, sound and picture, but you can smell it, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can touch it. Uh, it's a pretty, 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 pretty fun experience. That's so, pretty cool. I that recommend. Is, is, I recommend series pieces are really a blast to do. They really are. You know. Well, uh, do you think? I was going to ask if you thought that. I mean, I I liked you know Mrs. Maisel as a TV series. I thought it was great. I, I'm watching the thing on Netflix now on Hollywood. Um, right. You know. Um, but there's and, and I could be wrong because you know it's just it's just what I'm noticing. Um, but the retro aspect, uh, or it seems like there's, and, and like I said, I could be completely wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm way off base here, but it seems like there's quite a bit of retro, either movies or series being done uh, that I don't think we've seen in a while. And so, you know, Westerns being, I'm going to say retro, but Westerns being a period piece, you know, or Game of Thrones being a period piece, but Hollywood, you know, 30s and 40s or 50s. Um, do you think that that might be that, that actually people are looking for entertainment when life was simpler that when, you know, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of science fiction and stuff out there and, and the big tentpole superhero stuff, but the, but the idea that stories, um, like we used to call places, not people. And if you weren't home, you know, and you didn't have an answering machine, they just kept trying until they got you till you got home. You know, we didn't call people. We called the place that they were at and, Somebody could yeah. answer and say, well, they're not here right now. You know, call back or I'll tell them to call you. 
I mean, you think that right. there's this, there's a certain amount of yearning for, I mean, for the older people yearning I, for the. I, I, I actually, I, I don't think that's what it is. I think there's always been that. I think period pieces uh-huh. have always been made all different time frames, but I think that maybe what's happening is there's more care and craftsmanship going into the shows right now. And so those shows are, 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 are more interesting and, and getting a larger audience and more attention because maybe, maybe they're being crafted a little better and more, 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 more care, uh, because it's like I talked about, maybe uh, maybe the filmmakers, the showrunners, the producers are seeing, and the actors are 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 trying to not get caught up in technology, trying to find somewhere else to to go to experience these these uh, relationships and right. and these characters, and and so maybe there's more care taken. And so if you take, for instance, the Game of Thrones, I mean, um. I don't know what, what was, uh, uh, you know, back in like the eighties, like Richard Chamberlain miniseries, you know, those were period pieces. Uh, oh yeah, sure. And they, they were a little cheesy and then it wasn't really well made. Um, um, I mean, I, if you even go back to roots, which is, which amazing. I mean, I, right, the whole country right. watched roots, but if you go they back did. and watch roots now, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not of a studio level production. It's a TV movie level production, a little higher, you know, and, mm-hmm. But if you go back, if you go look at Game of Thrones now, you're talking about every episode oh. is like a like a studio level feature film, and right. um, um, or Mrs. Meisel, you know, is is a studio level movie. Uh, so maybe more care and care is taken uh, in the fabrication of those products, uh, and, and I'm not sure if the producers can actually say, you know, maybe they might not come to the same conclusion we're coming to. Uh, uh-huh. That you and I are talking about now, but but it might be true. I think there's, there's something to say about how we're in our cars, we're on our phones, we're on our TVs, our kids are on our iPads, whatever it might be, and so there's an excitement for something that takes us away from that. And so maybe there's more interest in those now. They're still being made just as much, but maybe they're just crafted better because people care more because they want to they want to experience that again or show their kids what it was like before then. Or, or, I mean, think of somebody who's, who's working on those shows and they're in their 20s or 30s. They never even experienced life uh, uh, before right. Uh, right. Uh, cell phones, for instance, or Internet, you know. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Sometimes you can't figure out an answer for things. You can, you can have, you can have uh, hypotheses, you know, but uh, there's no concrete answer. But uh, maybe talking through it, we could figure it out. Well, you know, I I think you're right. I mean, my daughter is going to be 22 this year. And no matter how many times I say, honey, you know, I really, I'm not a fan of texting and I'd really just like a call. She'll text me and then she'll text me that she's going to call me. And then she'll text me that (laughs) it'll be five minutes. But, you know, I mean, for her growing up texting was, was everything for me, you know, and, and you, we didn't grow up texting. So, I prefer to hear the no. voice. I prefer to do the sit-down conversation. I remember driving her and a friend home from a school event with a boy, and the boy was in the middle, and the two girls were on the side, and they were on their phone the entire time. And we let the boy out, and then we let the other girl out. And I said to my daughter, I said, why were you texting the whole time? She said, we were talking about the boy. 
Right. <laughs> it's the equivalent of going to the bathroom. Hey, you know, let's go wash our, you know, yeah. got to go to the bathroom. You know, they're just, they're just in real time, you know, in real life, just texting about the person in the middle of them. Um, yeah. I, you know, what's funny is that uh, writing letters disappeared for a while until email came back and then we all yeah. type and write letters. Uh, right. But now then texting sort of appeared and a lot of that disappeared and then it becomes this code I mean, I can't believe some of the, right. you know, I'll, 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 right. my son will text me something like, what do those letters mean? I don't even know what that means. And actually, if you Google, you know, like LOL, obviously, it's a lot of laughs, right? You right. Google LOL, they'll tell you what it means. You know, a lot of times I'll have to, I'll have to uh, 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 Google some combination of letters to find out what it means. Or, you know, sometimes we'll, my wife and I'll get a hold of my son's phone and see a text on there and have no idea what this combination of letters means. And then I Google, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe what he, what he said in four <laughs> letters, you know, and. Oh, that's how they're talking to each other. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, uh, it's uh, it's different. It's a different way of communicating. And and again, to go back to westerns and period pieces, uh, there's just something interesting about people having a stance to face. It's like a showdown, you know, yeah. having to stand face to face and deal with emotion straight up, as opposed to the two kids in the back of the car who weren't even, you know. Talking about the person, and you, you, you know, <laughs> they didn't even look. The at, they didn't even look at each other. They just look at their phone. The entire conversation. Oh, and here's my yeah. daughter texting yeah. me while we're on the air. She must be listening, going, "What? What? What is she?" <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> what? Yep. I actually, I, uh, I try not to. Uh, I, you know, my text uh, application shows up on my laptop, so I can type my text messages rather than uh, using my thumbs or whatever, you know? And I feel like at least if I can type my text messages, generally I have a better conversation with somebody or I can elaborate on something and uh, it's a little more intelligent than just uh, sending an emoji, you know? Oh, yeah. I do like yeah. to sometimes send, I like to sometimes send combinations of emojis that make absolutely no sense just to drive somebody crazy. It's kind of fun to do to somebody, you know? You throw, <laughs> you throw a unicorn, you know, and then you throw out a panda and you throw out something that means nothing, but it drives them crazy. Okay, it's fun to do to the kids. Try try it with your daughter sometime. Of course, maybe she's listening right now. But throw some random just, random random emojis at her, <laughs> or just some random letters. Right, right. No emojis are fun. It's fun actually. Yeah, emojis are. I agree it, with you. It drives them crazy. They have no idea what you're trying to say. Um, yeah, I find myself in that way quite frequently, actually. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a fascinating thing. I mean, it took me forever to watch Deadwood and I finally watched Deadwood and I was like, wow, uh, that was amazing. And and now I'm and now I'm I, I'm looking for the sixth season or what yeah, I think it's the sixth season, maybe fifth season, whatever it is, fourth season of Mrs. Maisel. Because what you right. what you had said, it I because one of the stories of why Deadwood, you know, went away. I mean, I, I tried to read articles about it and they said you know, it just cost a million dollars an episode. And they didn't feel that there was the audience there for it and they couldn't afford it. So they just dropped it kind of, well, Mrs. Basil, I keep going, this has got to be one of the most incredibly expensive shows out there. And I, I don't know, I haven't done the research, but the production value, the, the choreography, the, the, uh, just the set, the, you know, just the costuming and the sets and the cars and everything. I just, I just sit there and I'm, I'm just enamored by what it would take to create you know, that today. And, um, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money. dollars an episode, huh? Yeah, that's I, why, I that's why I, I say it takes a lot of money. Uh, you know, that's why oh, yeah. we make uh, a Westerns on a, on a low budget. Um, uh, we're, we're really 
uh, pulling off miracles. And uh, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy uh, to do. But, um, yeah, those shows are very impressive, and, and they're like feature films. Uh, I have to say, honestly, I, I have a hard time watching uh, on, on shows um, like I got into Ozark for a while and then, and then, and then sort of faded away. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I have a habit. Uh, I'm a very sports oriented person. In fact, I'm dying right now without sports. I like to watch sports. I like to watch every bit of sports possible and it takes mm-hmm. away from my time watching shows like that. But what I love about sports is I love the, uh, I love just competition of it, you know, and I just, I just, I just love the, uh, uh, um, the gamesmanship of it and, and, and the strategy of sports and the real time aspect of it. You know, I'm, I'm just a, I'm a total sports nut and freak. And it actually, um, I have to actually uh, um, oftentimes to see a movie, I have to go to the theater to see it so that I can focus on it because I, it's very hard for me to be home and watch a movie at home because I just want to, my wife will watch, we'll sit down and watch a movie. I'll pull on my laptop and I'll start watching some sports on the laptop instead of watching the movie. So in fact, that leads to something else. I'm very, I'm very concerned about is, is if we're going to lose movie theaters through what was already right. happening. And now with coronavirus, you know, I mean, I really hope we don't lose the movie theater experience um, because um, there's just something about sitting in a room with a massive screen with great sound system oh. and people and experiencing the movie. But I'm, I mean, I, I don't know if you see what's happening with AMC and, and, and all these uh, theater companies and, Great. fighting with the studios about releases and now they're uh, they might be going bankrupt and going under these companies and i mean we might move, we might lose movie theaters uh, i mean kids these days don't know what a blockbuster is they don't know why it's called a blockbuster i mean <laughs> uh i i i explained to my son that that you know we used to actually have to stand in line and wait all the way you know wait for hours to be the first one to get the best seat you know and, and the line would go around the block and that's a blockbuster you know my son thought it was a video store, you know. <laughs> I remember. I mean, I I, I remember. No, I mean it's, it's uh, the the lines that I would stand in either at the Chinese like when when Star Wars opened, um, or standing in line in Westwood. Uh, just you know, I mean that was part of the movie going experience back oh, know, yeah. forty years I saw ago. Star Wars in Westwood when I, when it first came out. I mean. Westwood was the place to go. I grew up in the valley. We would take the the RTD, which was the Rapid Transit District bus, to Westwood and go see movies. You know, and right, and it would take you line. like eight eight hours to get there, right, with the transfers. <laughs> well, well, in the valley on Ventura Boulevard, they had a pretty good, uh, pretty good. Uh, you you'd take it. I think you take the Sepulveda Ventura switch buses, and then it would take you to Westwood. So it wasn't too bad. Wow. Um, and it was it was safe back then and everything, um, <laughs> but. Um, you know, we uh, we screened a Soldier's Revenge at the Hollywood Film Festival in a in a big theater, and it was just epic. Sweet. It was just beautiful to see, and uh, uh-huh. and it, it saddens me that I can't release it theatrically because uh, I don't know how many of your your audience realize that that releasing a film theatrically is very very expensive, and uh, generally when you see smaller movies released theatrically, oftentimes the movies are paying for it. The theaters aren't aren't just putting it in there and making money with it. Uh, the, 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 independent finance, the independent producer oftentimes is paying the theater to put it in the theater. Um, right. They're forewalling. And, uh, um, they're walling it. It's very expensive uh, uh, to market movies theatrically and get enough theaters. And, and uh, that's why, you know, Marvel movies take up all the space generally in theaters um, and smaller movies don't. I, 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 
I wish we could come up with a system of some sort where, where smaller movies can go to theaters first. Uh, but theaters might, you know, if they're having these infighting with studios and they still keep their theaters, they might have to turn to us smaller guys to have content. And uh, maybe maybe things will change. We'll see. You know. Well, you know, again, that's it, you know, there's there's opportunity, you know, when there's when there's crisis, when there's problems. I mean, it's it's all it's all how you solve it. I always I always say this, you know, the Wright brothers didn't know how to fly until they flew. Until they flew, they were experimenting and they kept working at it and working at it and getting feedback for, you know, what didn't work and what they correct and what they could adjust. And nobody had flown, you know, by mechanical means prior to them. So so they didn't even know how to do it. They just kept attempting and attempting and attempting. And then one day they flew and they could reverse engineer it and they could continue that. And today we fly around the world without thinking about it. Um, you know, it, 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 innovation comes from doing things and not always doing the same thing over again. And what we have now where you have, you know, the studio lock on, on, uh, on the exhibitors, um, maybe exactly what you said will happen. Maybe, maybe, what the theaters will go is it will say, Hey, you know what, in order to survive and to keep going, uh, we need to turn to the, to the smaller production companies and, and, and release their movies. And, uh, right. I mean, wouldn't it be it, interesting, you know, I think theaters have to, they might have to look at like, wouldn't it be interesting if, 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 if Mrs. Maisel, uh, played in a the movie theater, you could actually go oh. to a the movie theater for like eight hours straight and watch right you know, a season of Mrs. Maisel, like maybe they have to change things up a little bit. You know, maybe every, instead of having the Marvel movies uh, and instead of having indie films, maybe, uh, you know, a season of Ozark plays in the movie theater. I mean, it's just content, you know, and we just want a comfortable, great place to watch content. Do you know, you you make a really good point. I do. I went to USC. They were doing the Twin Peaks retrospective and I, I met a really good friend there. He's a film editor. He's a marvelous guy. We became friends as a result of this because we were both, big Twin Peaks fan, but, but we went and I was curious to see whether or not, you know, Twin Peaks would hold up on the big screen, but the early seasons. And I was delightfully surprised that it did. We watched it in theater. I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. You know, even on a large screen TV, it's not like seeing it in a movie theater. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's a brilliant idea. You know, why not have something like that where you could binge watch your favorite series or, or, if not that you could come in every week, like, you know, and they show another yeah. episode, like the old time serials. I think that's a really a good idea. I would, I would yeah, go I, for I, that. Mostly now you that they have recliners in all the theaters, you know, so, uh, you're yeah. in an uncomfortable chair. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I, I, I honestly, I'd like to see sports, uh, in movie theaters. I mean, uh, you know, I like watching sports at home, but let's say there's a big, <clears throat> you know, hockey's a perfect example of it. I love yeah. hockey. I play hockey, but um, even on my 60-inch television, a puck is still small. You know, it, it would be mm-hmm. very exciting to watch a hockey match at a movie theater, you know, a hockey game. Um, but uh, I, 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 it's funny. I, I'm, I don't feel like theaters use their facilities as much as they can and are really thinking out of the box. These binge-watching binge these TV shows, uh, there's a huge opportunity there, I think, for, for theaters to take advantage of. But they're not. Well, they – uh, they don't I, try and rent a theater sometime and they'll go, well, you have to pay for every seat, this and the other thing. And I go, well, I know, you know trust me. Well, yeah, no, but it, well, right. Cause for, you know, but the, but the, it's such a, uh, it's so silly. They, they will, they will, because they can nowadays, they don't have, you know, union uh, 
projectionists, but you know they will have right. an empty empty theater where maybe one person in it or nobody in it the entire day, rather than renting it out for even a nominal fee where they would make some money. They will say, yeah. no, you yeah. have to, you have you know it's four thousand dollars for this space, and you go, well, geez, I mean, okay, I'll go elsewhere. It, it I makes know. No I mean, sense. We, we screen we screen movies often. <laughs> I whatever. Whenever I do screen a movie, I don't do it that often, but every so often I'll screen one of my movies. And we'll do it at, 10, at 11 in the morning at the Lemley Theaters in Encino. Um, mm-hmm. And they charge something like 500 bucks, which is a reasonable price. Uh, it mm-hmm. fits like 300 people, but we have to do it on a Saturday morning. <laughs> you know? and Great. It's sometimes funny to do it. It, it works well for, for some of the kids' movies I do. But, um, you know, you know um, you'll see often you go to theaters, you'll see Fathom events. And uh, I have never gone to theater to see a quote unquote fathom event. And they'll, cause they're going to, they promote like, you know, come to the theater to see fathom events, see the opera, see Madam Butterfly in the movie theater. Uh, who wants to see Madam Butterfly in the movie theater? You know, I want to see, you know, Ozark or see a, uh, 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 the Super Bowl. Or obviously we want to see big movies, but yeah, there's lots right. of opportunity. And, and I don't, I, it's true. I don't know why they don't, I think there's, I, they have this, these buildings that are sitting there. I mean, I, I, I live near the Winneka Theater, and, and it's massive. It's a massive building, and I swear half the time that place is empty. And right. uh, they could be used that theater for lectures. I mean, I love TED Talks um, and, 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 right. and lectures like that on the Internet and finding those. I mean, theaters could be used for that stuff. Uh, I, well, I hate to see theaters go away because they're not thinking out of the box, but I'm afraid that might happen soon. Well, do you know that you, this is a, a, a kind of a popular tale? I even, I even, I think mentioned it in, my, in the book that just dropped. But, but you know, the story of the, the, the mom and daughter cooking a ham, and or, yeah. or, and they cut off the ends, and the daughter says, "Mom, why do you cut off the ends?" I don't know. That's what my mother did. And then they said, "Well, let's call grandma and find out." And they call grandma and they go, "Why did you cut off the ends of the ham?" And she said, well, I, "I don't know. That's what my mom did." So let's call great grandma and find right, out why right. she did that. Right, and then they call Greg Gary and she says, well, it was too big for the pan, so I just cut off the end. And I think, I think right, a lot, right. it is, it's, the same, it's the same thing today, you know, is that, is, and is why I say, you know, in the heat of the, or in, the, in our shelter at home, the coronavirus, where we have so much opportunity available to us, is because we've been doing things without knowing why. We've just been doing them because that's the way we've always done them. And I think theaters right. and, you know, distribution companies, is, you know, they get into a rut and they don't even begin to question, could we do it differently? Could, is there another way to be more profitable and to expose more people to good content than the way we've been doing it? And, uh, and so it could be that this is, this, is, this is when people start waking up to, wow, uh, maybe we should fill these theaters. Maybe we could have uh, a new way to, to, to get people in our doors and, uh, right. and make it, and make it well, better you know, for everybody. I, go ahead. You know, an interesting thing about theaters is that theaters have been doing things to enhance the viewing experience, right? Putting right. in recliner chairs, having better food. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're recognizing that content. It's the right. content that brings you there. You're going to the theater because of the movie. You're not going there because of the recliners. You're not going, I mean, I might pick a certain theater because of the recliner. Right. I might pick a certain theater because I have better food, but I'm going there to go see the movie. And, but there's so much different type of content out there. You know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't, it's not all theatrical content and television is making such good content lately or indie right. films like a soldier's revenge is good content. 
that right. I don't think they're thinking out about. They're not recognizing that what they are is content. Um, uh, um, I don't know what the term would be for it, but uh, uh, they're providing a facility for content viewing, not a facility to sit more comfortably or to listen better or to eat better. It's, it's all about the content. So I, I really find that theaters are not thinking out of the box as the different types of content they can put up uh, for people to view. Um, well, it's, you're right. So maybe, I mean, maybe, never, they'll change, maybe they'll listen to us. We're actually change. Well, maybe <laughs> I've never gone to a theater going, I'm going here for dinner. Right. This, right. I, I, no matter how good a food they bring in there, it's never good. It's food. not, it's not my yeah. first choice. <laughs> it's not my first. And it, and, but, but, right. And I love Sinopolis. Sinopolis is great, but it's like $22 a ticket plus the food. I leave there with my wife and son and I cost me 150 bucks. It's crazy. Oh, exactly. You know? exactly. I don't know if, you, uh, if all your listeners know what Sinopolis is, but it's a fancy movie theater uh, chain uh, in Southern California. I don't know if it's out uh, beyond Southern California, but it's, it's a great place to see a movie, but it's very expensive. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a, again. I just think this is a, this is a worthwhile conversation to have because um, I also think that that and I and I could be wrong, but I also think that they rely too much on what they think demographics are, and not on on what people might actually want to see. I don't go to the movies. I mean, I rarely go to the theater because I don't care about so do Marvel movies. But I mean, I don't care. Well, but I don't, you know, I would go to a movie if it's a movie I want to see. But most of what's being produced isn't something I want to see. And I, and I think one of the I agree. interesting, I agree. one of the interesting things is the, the, you know, there, there, are, there are more old people alive today than there are young people in, in, in the United States, apparently. I mean, the aging of America. So, so the, um, what happened to TV apparently, and you know more about this than I do, but, but when, but when all the movie theaters went young, uh, most network television went old, you know, in other words, they started right. casting older actors again, because the people who are watching network TV are the older people who aren't going to the theaters. So they're sitting home. So they put Angela Lansbury back in a show or they put, you know, somebody else back in a show or they put, they put, you know, the older talent because those are the people that, people grew up with and whom they remember. So, but I would go to the movie theaters more. I have friends who are my age or older than I, who want to go to movies, but they just go, there's no movies to go to. So they, you know, they um, build their, you know, they build their know, home my, theater. My wife and I, uh, we were, we went to Palm Springs a few years ago for a, a little, uh, uh, you know, week getaway. And, uh, you know, Palm Springs, uh, uh, um, you know, it's hot and something that you do in Palm Springs is it's a night to go to a movie to cool off. Right. So we'd go to a movie theater in Palm Springs and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 51. I was probably 48 or something. Um, we were the youngest ones in the theater. The theater was packed with seniors. I think that the average age was 80 years old in this, in this, uh, theater. <laughs> I could not wow. believe the age and because they, 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 they don't want to stay home and watch TV. They want to get out and, and, right. uh, and do social things. And, and I, I am certain that if a movie comes out that, that, that hits that demographic, those people will go see it. They will fill up theaters, especially in places like Palm Springs. <laughs> right. Um, right. Well, it, I was honestly, I was honestly shocked at the age, uh, the average age of this movie theater. Um, and I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I can't remember what movie it was. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't an Avengers or Star Wars film. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Wow. 
Hey, Michael, we've got about 20, about 18 minutes left. I just wanted to give you a heads up. And I think this is a fascinating conversation and truly, truly uh, are touching on a lot of things. And and I think that, you know, um, you know, a good idea is only worth whatever it's worth as long as somebody takes hold of it and does something with it. You know, it's kind of like I used to, I used to, (laughs) I used to, when I was teaching acting, people say, what's more important, the actor or the script? And I would throw the script on the ground and go, okay, act. And, right, uh, right. You know, which, which, I think you should take another phone call, Rex. I thought that was the most exciting part of the, uh, of the night so far. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's, you know, no one has called back up with that, with the kind of questions <laughs> or breathing and that, that we got. But you know what? We could put that on an endless loop, you know, we could just play it over <laughs> and over again. It's part of the, part of the, the intro since the, Blog Talk Radio lost my daughter's music. She created music which was like maybe ten years old or something, and I played it on the show for ever. And they they d- somehow deleted the file. I have to find it. It's on, a, on another hard drive somewhere. And so we yeah. could we could put I that. Think that uh, put, by the way, I, I think that's an interesting thing about society today and movies is uh, anonymity of um, of uh, the internet. So. Um, um, uh, if I if I read review, you know the, 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 my movies, I, I I make a movie for a very low budget that I'm trying to compete. You know, people go to the movie theater to see a two hundred million dollar movie, then they'll watch one of my movies for you know it's a half a million dollar budget or a million dollar budget or three hundred thousand or something, and they start comparing the two, <clears throat> and then they go on the internet and they just rip me to shreds and they just put nasty comments and nasty things, and uh, it's cra- it's crazy. I can't believe how many people are out there actually writing nasty things on the internet um, or calling in and saying nasty things. And it's really interesting, actually, the anonymity that people have to be able to, to, to express themselves in such uh, such lewd and crude ways. And, um, and it's very difficult being an indie filmmaker when, uh, you know, I make a movie for the Lifetime Channel, we make it 13 days. Clearly it's not the budget of studio film. Uh, there's no way I can make it as good as a studio film. And yet people try to apply these comparisons to a film that they saw that they love that was in the movie theaters for, you know, 57 weeks or something. And um, uh, it drives me a little crazy and it makes me a little sad about humanity, actually, that, 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 that people are so quick to insult and criticize others because they're uh, anonymous um, well, you or because know, we, they can do are... a long distance or something. We it's are sad. the species. It is sad. We, we, but we are the species that created the atomic bomb. You know, we are the. We, <laughs> yeah. It's you know Talking we have technology. Right. Well, no, true. But I mean, we have a technology that you know, man's ability to create technology that we don't know how to really use or have the wisdom to govern it uh, until may, maybe many years later. You know, uh, is is seems rampant you know we we created the you know the internet and social media uh i remember when cell phone cameras came out and i had a, it was a dinner party i was at and the the host of the party said i think it's great now you know you can take your camera and you can you can it was like you know cnn and everybody was starting to say oh you can be our reporters you know you just go out and yeah, capture right. the news and i'm like that's truly dangerous and he's like oh i think yeah, it's a well, good thing at- Look at Mayor Garcetti this week. Mayor Garcetti's like snitches get rewards. You know? Right. <laughs> Where they want the government wants us snitching on each other now, or uh, the, the the news uh, the news channels want us uh, videotaping everything. 
Right. Uh, but it, yeah, it's an interesting look, time. But but going to the critic side, it, what we have is we have this thing of of because we have a technology and we can be anonymous, or we have Facebook where people can post. You know, we're we're still the people who created the atomic bomb. So we 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 don't rise high; we go low. The 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 loudest voices are the one who scream the most negativity. And the you know you know you would hope that it would be all good and peace and love, and and people would take projects and look at projects and 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 say, hey, this is cool. I like it because of this, as opposed to, oh, I don't like it because of that. And um, right. and it's just it's just it's just not balanced anymore. You know we. You give you give a lot of people a voice, and it and it's instant like Twitter or Facebook, and they can respond instantly. It's I I I in my entire life I don't know how many reviews I've ever read. Uh, probably I can count the number of reviews on one hand, maybe two hands. Right. Because I'm not interested in what uh, the the reviewer has to say. I've never looked at um, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, to to ever, but to decide to go to a movie. Right. Because if somebody, if a friend of mine says, you got to see this, I want to see it because I trust my friend or I don't, or I see trailers, you know, or there's some buzz about it or, you know, and I go, oh, I think that's interesting. Um, and I, and I, I don't know if we talked about this, but I've said it numerous times. People, people will say, Rex, you're a movie reviewer because I have this show. And I go, no, I'm not. And they go, well, I thought you were. I go, no. And they go, well, why aren't you? I go, cause I know what it, takes to make a movie you know it's a lot of <laughs> right, right. it's a lot of blood sweat and tears you know i'm not about to sit around and you know I'm, that's that doesn't interest me i want to support filmmaking so there are right. things that i don't like but i i rarely talk about what i don't like because i'm too busy saying this is what you've got to see you know so people who spend their time just tearing things down just have too much time on their hands and aren't doing what they love you know they're they're just you know, and it's a sad fact. It's just it's sad that the that those uh, that they have a that they have an avenue to vent in that way, I guess. But but it's it is, you know maybe maybe we get better as a result of it. Well, the thing about the, the movie sets that's interesting is that um, when you work on a movie set, like we talked about, you're working directly with people, you're connected to people. Uh, there's not an opportunity to be an, a jerk. Uh, right. You have to, you have to be your true self. You have to find uh, uh, the goodness in others. You, you, if you're working for somebody, uh, you're not going to stay on that set long if you're difficult. And, um, and it's actually, you know, uh, it's an environment that's actually healthy for people, uh, as opposed to, you know, you're a stockbroker and you're by yourself and you're at your computer and then it's it's easy to build angst. It's easy to send off emails that you're mad at somebody or get right. emails from your boss that's upsetting. And, and uh, so actually, you know, that's uh, something about movie sets is it's very, it's very refreshing actually, because people have to be themselves. They can't hide behind the veil of the internet, an email, a text message, a phone. And, uh, and you really find out what kind of, what people are made up of. And oftentimes people, um, they, they really, they really rise. They really rise above um, what they thought they could do often because of, um, I'm sorry, I'm changing positions here. Um, they really rise, rise up and do things beyond what they thought they could do in their ability uh, because they're sort of put out there uh, in a position where they kind of have to perform. Uh, it's like being an athlete and, and you're, 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 you're thrown in uh, in the game. 
And, um, and that's something enjoyable about working on a movie set, which I, 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 I really, uh, I really hope that people who want to make movies, um, and see a lot of movies and, and think that they could possibly do it. You just have to be proactive and get out and there, do it. And, uh, and, and cause the process is great. The process of making movies is great. So, I mean, right now I'm, I'm dying to be back on a movie set. That's, that's where I thrive. So I'm doing everything I can right now to, to get, be the first one up and running and making the movie, uh, with this whole coronavirus situation and, um, getting close, getting close. I think we will be June 1st. So that's cool. That's cool. Do you want to share any, yeah. any little tidbits about what it's about? Well, it's a, it's a, it's another Western. I actually uh, got hired by a company to make three Westerns, three Westerns in a row. We were supposed to start April 6th. Um, and, uh, by the way, I, I talked about Westerns. Uh, they're, they're a very difficult uh, business venture, but uh, uh, I seem to keep running into people who want to make Westerns. Um, That's cool. But um, this one is called Catch the Bullet. It's uh, written by a, a writer named Jerry Robbins, uh, who I've, uh, I've now uh, uh, somebody I've, I've really met recently. The, the script was brought to me, and uh, he's a really good guy, and I think he's in Massachusetts, actually. And, uh, and he's I think in quarantine, he might've completed already two or three scripts during the quarantine, but, um, um, it's, it's really a movie about, um, about, uh, 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 good guys chase the bad guys, uh, bad guys show up and, uh, and kidnap, uh, this gentleman Britt's son and, uh, and Britt goes after them. And, uh, it's a very classic Western of, of good guys chase the bad guys. And, um, I won't tell you what happened in the ending, but, um, it's, uh, it's uh, going to be enjoyable to make. It's interesting, actually, the way I'm going to make it because uh, it works out where I can shoot. The, the good guys are chasing the bad guys, and they don't ever meet up until much later in the movie. And by the time they meet up, some of the, some of the characters kind of peel away for certain reasons. So schedule-wise, it's interesting because week one will be the good guys, right, trancing along trying to chase down the bad guys week two will just be the bad guys and then week three it's all going to come together uh uh so it's interesting schedule and actually if we had started this april 6th during the coronavirus during the quarantine it was pouring if you remember in los angeles i don't know if you were in los angeles at all but it was it was pouring rain for one or two weeks uh when this quarantine started and um that would have been really bad for the movie uh because i would have shot the good guys in the pouring rain and the bad guys in the sun (laughs) And I'd be cutting back from pouring rain to sun. That never would have worked. I would have to reschedule the entire movie. Um, so it's actually, it's actually good that we didn't shoot April 6th. Now uh, uh, it's warm, and we're uh, considering shooting in Arizona now. And I'm afraid that we're going to get out to Arizona. It's going to be 110 degrees. And, um, and we're going to wish we were shooting in the rain. Uh, but, but that's called Catch the Bullet. Yeah. And... Uh, um, and uh, my good friend Jay Pickett is going to star as Brit. And uh, Jay Pickett, uh, if you guys uh, want to see uh, one of my favorite movies I've done, uh, look up Soda Springs. Uh, it stars yes, Jay, Jay yes. and I produced it together and wrote it together. And we shot that in Idaho. And that is a contemporary Western. Um, and uh, I, I'm really proud of that film. I think it's a beautiful film. That's where that Jay we, comes back that's to one town. Of those movies. Jay comes back to town. Well, Jay, Jay, uh, Jay comes out of uh, prison after, I think, it's yep. eight years the town and uh uh life's different i don't want to give away the story but uh life's very different and uh and he discovers things that happened in those eight years that he's 
very surprised about. And uh, I think it's a really beautiful story that we came up with and yes. uh, really powerful. And it's, it's one of those movies where I don't get this opportunity very often to shoot a shot of like Jay pulling up his truck and going to use a payphone and the shot doesn't move. And you actually see the clouds going by in the shot because the, oh, the, the cool. shot's right. static and it's, you know, or, or Jay looking out a, a window and just the odd reflections on his face and just being able to study his face and his thoughts um, or relationships that are, that are rather romantic or uh, 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 father, son, mother, child that are, that are just really sweet um, or being able to wait for the sunset and shoot. There's this one shot that's one of my favorite shots in the movie. I, I, I swear I, I shed a tear shooting the shot because I was so <laughs> proud and excited that I got this shot, but it's a moment uh, uh, with two characters, a little boy on a horse, and the sun is setting behind them, and it's just epic. It's an epic awesome. moment. And uh, so there's really, there's lots of epic moments in that, in that movie. We shot the movie yeah. 10 years ago in Idaho. Jay's from Crawford, uh, Idaho. And funny enough, actually, um, we didn't shoot in Soda Springs, but my composer, Brandon, um, his uh, his wife Heidi, her whole family lives is from and lives in Soda Springs, Idaho. Wow. So um, I had never I had never met anybody from Soda. She was so shocked that we made a movie called Soda Springs, uh, having been from Soda Springs. But um, we also shot in uh, Amid, Idaho, in a little teeny teeny not even town. It's like five houses in sweet Idaho. Um, but uh, but yeah, so Jay stars in that movie. Jay's Jay's also in a, a, a Soldier's Revenge, and he's in Shooting Star. And uh, he's right. in some of my lifetime movies. Um, cool. So we have a good time working together. Jay's a rodeo guy. Uh, uh, his brother, D. Pickett, is in the Rodeo Hall of Fame. So uh, what I'm doing with Cats the Bullet, which is interesting and something that I think is important for, uh, uh, you know, filmmakers to know, is I'm, I'm hiring stuntmen and wranglers who also act uh, for all of the writing characters as opposed to actors who – uh, can maybe ride. Um, right. It's, it's unfortunately a kind of a big issue in Westerns. It's very, you know, you really have to ride for your entire life to really be a good rider and get on any horse and really control it. And uh, um, I've had problems in Westerns in the past where I just don't feel like the actors are particularly pulling off the riding as well as they could. And we use doubles and things. And, 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 and the actors are really committed to really learning how to ride. They, they get it by the end you know, and, but, uh, you kind of need them to get it from the beginning. And, um, and it's fine on, on movies like a soldier's revenge or a shooting star. Well, soldier's revenge doesn't require, didn't require really, really difficult riding, but I'm really proud of, uh, Neil Bledsoe, who really was committed to, uh, who stars in, uh, soldier's revenge, who's really committed to learning how to really control and ride that horse. And he did a great job, but, um, uh, we're going to have riders, stunt riders, wranglers playing the characters, uh, who can cool. also act That's an audition cool. for me. And that way we're going to get some really great writing material and, and just really, um, really uh, not have to, not have to use camera tricks and uh, angles and things and just be able to just have a big wide shot. And, like it's very hard to get galloping. You know, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood has an incredible, uh, incredible scene that I was blown away. Uh, uh, many of your listeners probably seen this where uh, the, the Manson girls tell, uh, it's one character that Brad Pitt is there to cause trouble right. and he's on a horse and he rides this horse. He gallops the horse across the Iverson ranch, uh, and through rocks and everything. And it's just the fastest gallop you've ever seen. 
And that is not easy to do. It's not easy to pull off because horses uh, do fall. People do fall oh, off horses. And uh, they trip. And uh, 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 it's very difficult to get that on movies. It's very dangerous. So you, it's, it's so on Cats the Bullet, I'm excited about Cats the Bullet because I'm going to have guys who can really ride and, uh, and, and be safe. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm very excited. So hopefully we'll be shooting that June 1st. And That's then we have uh, two other movies. Yeah, two others, uh, one called Desperate Riders, another called uh, Siege at Riker Station uh, that we'll be making also. Yeah. That's, in, that's fantastic. We've got about two minutes left, so um, this has been fascinating. I, uh, we'll have to do this again. I, I, I was fortunate that in, in the eight, early 80s I did a, a film called Pale Horse, Pale Rider based on a, yeah. on a story. Not, not Pale Rider, the Western, but, but – they gave me, right. I think, six months worth of riding lessons so we could gallop, and 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 I wouldn't pretend to be able to do that today. But but at that time, <laughs> we went through a right. lot. Because uh, I haven't been on a horse in a long time, but but we went through intensive just to be able to gallop and do things and rear up and stuff. It is, uh, and they and they replaced two, the Charlene Tilton started in it, and and who's who who I'm I'm chasing on horseback. I'm death on horseback, chasing her. Right. Who, I'm friends, who I'm friends with, by the way. Yes, Charlene. Yeah, she's great. I, I don't see her that often, but I've fact, known her for 40 her daughter, years. So her, say, daughter, uh, her daughter, Cherish, uh, starred in one of my movies. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, it's, say hello. It's called Grim, and, Grim Rebirth. It, yeah. Oh, cool. Very cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, they replaced, because Charlene was, you know, a big star, they, they couldn't have her ride, and they had to go through two or three stunt riders for her. Um, yeah. Me, I was expendable, so they just gave me the lessons. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very dangerous. I mean, I mean, you're going as fast as a motorcycle. You're not wearing a helmet. Okay. And uh, and and like I said, horses fall and people fall. And I mean, well, if you even look at the way a saddle is attached to a horse, I mean, it, yeah. it's not saddles are not attached to horses very well. Nobody's come up with a really good solution. If you don't tighten that saddle up, it could just slip and you could slide right off the horse. You know. I mean, uh, it, so, so it, it's, uh, we, we take really, I take really as much care as I can. It's, 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 it frightens me sometimes on set because, uh, um, it's, uh, horse riding dangerous. So oh, it, yeah, truly. it's going to stay with the professionals. So, well, that's fantastic. That? We have about 60 seconds left. I'm going to have to say goodbye. I want to do this again with you sometime soon. I, I'm going to give you a quick call back in just a bit, just to, just to say goodnight. And uh, but I really appreciate that, okay? And I and I need to all right. Close Next out time I'll trip. get my friends to call in instead of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Deal. Um, so everybody, <laughs> you've been listening to my guest, the fascinating man, Mr. Michael Pfeiffer, and uh, and uh, I hope you listen. I hope you comment. I hope you share this with your filmmaker fans and your filmmaker friends and all of your filmmakers. So spread this far and wide, and and uh, that will help out a great deal. RexSykes.com is where they're all archived. BlogTalkRadio.com is where all these guests are are, are, are appearing uh, in the past and now. And Christopher Lockhart is my next upcoming guest. Again, Michael Pfeiffer and uh, Soldier's Revenge. Get it June 16th. We'll have Michael back. And uh, Life on Your Terms, Create the Life You Want. My book uh, is now available on Amazon. Be sure to go get that. I know you'll enjoy it. And uh, And everybody, that's a wrap. This has been a really fun time. Uh, and I want to thank the callers for calling in and making our evening uh, even that much more delightful um, with uh, with uh, your with your with your generous way of presenting yourselves on here. Thank you. 
And that's a wrap for Rex Ike's Movie B.